0: the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations, my friends, in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. And we're getting ready to enter into a little chat around Revelations chapter 6. Now, I have been very... Upfront about um, how uncomfortable sometimes Revelations makes me, mainly because I don't get it, and I'm I'm still not sure how to read it. Um, and I'm going to address some of that today, and then we'll, we'll read through chapter six and see what what God has to show. Well, God has to show me. Well, I think with my mouth open, I want to start off with in the beginning in chapter one. All right, so the writer says this stuff is going to happen soon. The time is near. So if that's the case, then right away you'd start thinking uh, that this is supposed to be something that's going to happen at the end of the first century and into the, maybe into the second century um, because most people believe John wrote this in the 1890s. But then some people turn right around and say, well, and and say stuff like, this is a lot of the stuff we're reading is going to refer to the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, et cetera, which happened a generation previous. So I'm I'm really curious as to how to deal with this. And uh, I addressed that. I went out and found some articles by some people, and uh, I want to read some of that to you and... And then we're going to get into chapter 6, and I'm going to be honest with you, I still don't have my mind made up about how to read Revelation, but there's still stuff in here for us. Whether or not we know whether it was a prehistory written about things that are going to be coming soon, or something that's going to happen in our future, uh, or something that happened in their future, and our past, uh, I don't know. So let's get to chapter 6 just before chapter 6. Here we go. Let me read this to you. Before we dive into chapter 6, I'm struggling to come up with a proper lens through which we view the remaining content of this book. Now, below is the conclusion of John Cumming. Now, he lived in the 1800s, the 19th century, who takes a historical view where the events of Revelation reflect the history of mankind from first century to current times most of which would indeed be in the future of the original audience but in our past and he writes the first six weeks I'm sorry the first six seals contain the history of the temporal glory and the decline of Roman pagan empire the most illustrious empire of the ancient earth this is my strong and i think demonstrable conviction the first six trumpets which are comprehended in the seventh seal contain the desolation of the roman christians by the goths the Saracens, and the Turks. So he's saying this: these seals reflect what's coming to the Roman Empire. Um, the first six vials, which come out of the second, uh, seventh trumpet, embody the events that occurred subsequent to the breaking forth of the great European Revolution. Thus, the 21 apocalyptic symbols, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials, represent in succession the progress of the church along the obstructions of time, her vicissitudes of experience, her trials, her cruel mockings, her perils, and her final triumph and permanent prosperity, contemporaneously with overwhelming judgments on the nations and on the apostasy. So he looks at this thing as really a description of history from the first century to his present day. I'm not sure I can subscribe to that view that the prophecies of Revelation have all been fulfilled in the first century, or even between the first century and current times. But at the same time, I recognize that in the Old Testament, historical events, places, and people often are a shadow of the real, which is to come later. So I'm open to see how different historical events can seem to fulfill these apocalyptic visions. So I can read what we're about to read and see the immediate to the original recipients of this letter, events in their time fulfilling portions of what we read and continuing till today throughout history fulfilling other prophecies as if they were previews of a coming attraction. So I I can see where we can see events in history that are, for lack of a better term, previews of coming attraction that seem to meet the criteria of what we're reading about in Revelation. So I can see that. But I cannot subscribe totally to a historical view that would tell us that most of what we're reading about these prophecies are for us today in our past and not in our future. And here's the reason. As much of that view seems reasonable on the surface of it all, perhaps it feels like those who subscribe to the historical or historicist view, they cherry-pick historical events, saying this event is a white horse or that event is a red horse to prove that their view is a correct one. There's a gentleman by the name of Keith Morrison, Matheson who uh, works at Ligonier.com and he cites in an article, the historicist approach faces more serious difficulties than the futurist approach. As Polythoros observes, of the four schools of interpretation, historicism is undoubtedly the weakest, though it was popular centuries ago. And it was, it was very popular in the 1800s. The most serious problem with the historicist approach is its subjectivity and arbitrariness. Historicist interpreters through the ages invariably identify their own age as the final age. They then fit the prophecies of the book with whatever important events have transpired between the first century and their own day. The result is that the basic historicist interpretation of the book of Revelation changes from one generation to the next. Now here's an article from the website that talks about the Preterist point of view, This is closest to what I hold to, but I'm still not satisfied. Preterism denies the future prophetic quality of the book of Revelation. It too says, like historicists, hey, this stuff is already done. Beyond metaphorical application, there's no prophetic element that points to today. It basically teaches that all the end-time prophecies of the New Testament were fulfilled in AD 70, when the Romans attacked and destroyed Jerusalem. So he's saying that these events in Revelation are actually referring to what happened in A.D. 70, even though John wrote it in A.D. 90. So then that would fly in the face of what John says, where he says this stuff was written about the things that are soon to come to pass. But the preterist would say this stuff happened in A.D. 70 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Preterism teaches that every event normally associated with the end times, Christ's second coming, the tribulation, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, has already happened. And In the case of the final judgment, it's still in the process of being fulfilled. Jesus' return to earth was a spiritual return, not a physical one. Hmm. Preterism teaches that the law was fulfilled in AD and God's covenant with Israel was ended. The new heavens and new earth, spoken of Revelation 21, is to the preterist a description of the world under the new covenant, our world. Just as a Christian has made a new creation, so the world under the new covenant is a new earth. And when we get to that point, we're going to see that that can't be true. How can what we're living in now be the new heaven and new earth that's described in chapter 21? The problem with preterisms are many. For one thing, God's covenant with Israel is everlasting. So they subscribe to what's called a Replacement theology or the church has replaced Israel in God's economy, in God's plan. So therein lies my dilemma. Neither of these particular points of view, historicist and preterist, answer my questions. What I do know is this, though. What follows from chapter six onward are real events. That is the what of it. I just don't know the when of it. And so I wrote this prayer sigh. Oh, Lord, open my eyes to see the truth of it all. So having said that, I'm going to keep my eyes open. So you can see my dilemma. I still don't know how to read Revelations. But you know what? I believe that God is faithful, and he'll show me something that is of value to me out of this. So let's read chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, Then I heard one of the four living creatures saying a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. This rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, some of the preterist folks I know would say, this is Christ riding out on a white horse. This is the the entrance of the church into history's timeline. But I have a problem with that. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Uh, the, the, The picture given is this is going to be a protracted battle. Okay, well, that still could be Christ. Yeah, it could. But then what happens next? In the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one. This is on the heels of the white horse. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. (laughs) Huh. This is why I don't believe the first horse is Jesus. I believe this is a succession of events that we see generation after generation after generation. Somebody is bent on conquest. And then they wage war people kill each other Mm. and when the lamb opened the third steel i heard the third living creature say come i looked and there before me was a black horse its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand then i heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and don't damage the oil and wine well in those days this represented about See, two pounds a week for a day's wages, that would be about one day's, barely one day's food for a Roman soldier. And six pounds of barley for a day's wages, bare minimum uh, f- to feed a small family. And don't damage the oil and wine. So we have somebody, bend, white horse going out, bent on conquering, war follows, People are killing each other. Um, there's shortages of food. Well, we see that all the time, in every generation. Anytime there, people look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. Russia bent on conquest. People are killing each other. There's bombs and missiles flying everywhere. There's shortages of food. People are hurt. People are starving. People are killing each other. So far, this is a succession of every war that's ever happened. And when the Lamb opened the force seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. All right, this this is the one that bothers me the most. This horse was given power over a full fourth of the earth's population to encourage them to kill by sword, famine, and plague. I can't think of a time in history when that's happened. Um, I can't think of when a full quarter of the earth's population was decimated. This is death on a huge scale. I don't, I think probably a, a mini version of this would be World War One or World War II where we see that we see this progression. Somebody, it's Germany, bent on conquering, war. People are killing each other. Uh, the shortages of food. People are starving, and then huge death toll by the end of that war. But it wasn't on this scale. What they're talking about here is a fourth of the world's population. Now, somebody might argue, well, that's a fourth of the known world population. Um, And so they might look at something like the Black Plague, which killed a huge amount of people in Europe. I get that. But there's no certainty there. So this is the part of this, these four horsemen are the part, this is part of the reason why I'm just throwing my hands up in the air. I don't know when this is talking about. Now, again, Revelations 1 said this stuff is soon to take place. In God's timeline, what exactly is soon? Was he was the angel talking to John in his time frame of reference? like John, in a generation or so this stuff's going to happen. Or is he talking in God's where God says a day is, a day is with the Lord's so as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day? Is this soon this stuff's going to happen in God's time frame or soon in our time frame? I don't know. really don't know. But I do know these four horsemen are nothing to mess with. One comes out to conquer and he makes people kill each other. There's a shortage of food and people are starving, barely finding enough to eat. Then death of a quarter of the world's population is on the table. Scary time. If this is, the futurists would say, and I would say the, uh, the uh, pre-trib rapture folks would say that this is going to happen in our future. It hasn't happened yet. And I could see that aspect of this. There's a lot of other of, their, uh, of, of that whole pre-trib rapture thing that I don't agree with. But I mean, I could see where they would get that idea here. Because I can't think of a time in history when this has happened to this scale. Yes, there's been wars, people bent on conquering, people have died, large portions of people have died, but this last one, they were given power, death and Hades were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. We've seen that in miniature. I don't think we've seen this in full, so I don't know. Is each one of these uh, a period of history in and of itself? Or are these all going to be bunched together? The pre-trib rapture folks who say, yes, this is what happens in the seven years before the final return of Jesus? They can make a strong argument for that, but I don't know. I still haven't made up my mind. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed, just as they had been. So I bet, apparently, there's more martyrs to come. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood-red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth and as, as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a, excuse me, when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else both slave and free hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of the wrath has come, who can withstand it? All right, to the best of my knowledge, this has not yet happened. Um, there's gonna be huge natural disasters Earthquakes, floods, tsunamis, storms. The sun is black. The moon turns red. The stars in the sky fall to earth. Maybe there's a meteor storm that impacts the earth. The heavens recede like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island removed from its place. We're talking about a global catastrophe on a scale that has yet to be seen. And the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, they hide in caves. And they call to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the wrath of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who can withstand it? That hasn't happened yet. This is a world of unbelievers giving. Credence to the Lord's name and to the Lord Himself, and begging the rocks to fall on them so they don't have to feel the coming wrath of the God of this universe. So that hasn't happened yet. So you can see my dilemma. Is this stuff that happens throughout history? Is this stuff that's going to happen in a condensed period of time? prior to the return of the second return of the Lord? I don't know. What possible benefit can I derive from this in my devotion? What is there in this for me? Well, honestly, I see a progression of human nature here. I can see that the natural progression, someone's bent on conquering and is followed by bloodshed. The shortage of food, right? There's death on a large scale. And then there's global destruction. It's like this is a microcosm of the history of man. This shows. The absolute deviant nature of the human of humanity, bent on conquest. There's always somebody who wants to conquer something. And death is a result, and they don't care. This is the world unchained, if you will. It's almost like God is giving the world its way. All right, this is the way you want to be. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go to war. There's going to be death. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be cataclysms. People are going to die. His people, God's people, are going to be killed and murdered and martyred. So perhaps in this sixth chapter, we see a condensed version. And then following in the seventh chapter, we see it stretched out and wound out and explained. Maybe this is a synopsis of the history of the world. And what we're going to read is going to go into that in more depth. That's a great, that's a perhaps a good way of looking at this. I'm not sure yet. I'm fascinated by it, but I'm disturbed by the fact that I just can't wrap my head around it. Not going to lie. Revelations is weird. So, having said that, I'm going to go look at chapter 7 and get ready for tomorrow. I hope you all have a fantastic, fabulous day. Mr. G, here's my coffee. And I am out of here. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.